0: Great to see uh, so many faces. I'm uh, looking forward to the day where we won't have to wear masks, all of us, so that, uh, that we can see reaction. You know, we, at our previous church, there was a, a young girl, and she was uh, very responsive. I knew exactly where I had her in the sermon. You know, she would either frown, or she'd someone go... And I know if I said something, she'll go to Google, and she'll check you know, my illustrations. So if you go to Google this evening and you, and you type in Guts and Glory, you will most probably find a, a game, an online game, Guts and Glory, and it's very gory. It's known to be a very bloody game. And uh, I was thinking about using a war illustration to, uh, to start with, but uh, in the marriage seminar, I realized that there are too many people who don't understand the war illustrations. I understand them very well because I was shot at and I shot back. I'm still here today, so you can guess who won. I did. So I want to talk to you about this evening. So yes, here's, here's an illustration. How many of you know who this is? Almost, almost there. So you can see the surname is Felix. Alison, Alison. Alison Felix. What is she known for? She's what? Kim Archer's friend. <laughs> friend. Well, it, true. The other true. Not I actually met her when she was a little girl, like 7, 8 years old, uh, in at Grace, Grace Community Church where she was in school with my best friend at that time's daughter. But here's something is about Allison Felix. She achieved the most Olympic medals of any track athlete in the USA ever. Who is the athlete that, uh, that holds the most gold medals in world athletics? You would think Usain Bolt, but you're right, Peter, it's Alison Felix. Um, Usain Bolt holds 11 gold medals in world championship athletics. She holds 13 gold medals. And she holds 11 medals at the Olympic Games that she received in 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, and 2021. Pages, if you go and look up Alison Felix, you'll see pages and pages of accolades, of achievements. But she wants to be known as Christian woman, wife of Kenneth Ferguson, mother of daughter Cameron. That's how she wants to be known. And she says, "I'm firstly, firstly, I am a Christian." So she's an example of a faithful Christian who lives her life with guts so that she will bring glory to her God. And she does this in the face of Gentiles speaking against her as evil-doer. What happened to her is that she chose to be a mother and a wife and she was pressurized by the administrators in America for athletics. They call it track and field. And uh, her sponsors withdrew, and she decided that she will not abort her baby, and she wants to be a mother. It was a very difficult uh, birth, but uh, she stuck through and she came back, and after that still won five more medals at the Olympics and many more others and uh, she found another sponsor who does not have these kinds of issues. But uh, many of her friends who were with her in track and field, and many of her coaches and the administrators called her evil and selfish because she didn't care about them and about America and all those things. So when we live our lives uh, fighting a war against our own bodily desires, it is then when God is honored as we see in Alice and Felix's life. In 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12, we find an urgent request with a beneficial outcome. We are urged to have guts in order to show God's glory. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war Against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It takes courage or guts to follow God in such a way, so that He is kept in the spotlight. The world and the world view is that it is all about you and all about Mankind, and as long as you do something that benefits mankind, then you are considered to be someone who is worthy. But as soon as you stand for principles that is in line with God, then you are in trouble. Nettie and I had an online chat with our son uh, this afternoon. He's in America at the moment, busy getting training on a new airplane, and he's uh, in a in a town called Savannah. Apparently, the first planned town. In America. Uh, all the streets are squares and uh, he was walking around yesterday just to enjoy the sights of uh, this town and he found himself in a march and the march was um, for abortion. because The laws have changed in Texas and he didn't know. He's sometimes a bit of a dreamer and uh, he engaged in discussion with one of the girls that made it very clear that he's not welcome, so he left. So we are challenged this uh, evening to live lives that will leave a righteous legacy as Andrew challenged us this morning. If you think of your life as you did this morning, again this evening we will be challenged. So let's start with this challenge, the first part, you have to have guts in order to live a righteous life. How do you show that you have the guts it takes to be an effective Christian? Well, you have to live an exemplary life. What does that mean? Well, you live in such a way that you are an example of God. You are called Christian. Everyone who calls himself Christian must be Christ-like. That's our desire, and that's what we aim for. So 1 Peter 2 verse 11 again reads, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. A bit of a tongue twister there. Which wage war against your soul. He you starts with beloved. I want you just to stop for a moment and think about that term. Do you really understand what that term means? Beloved. Romans 9 verse 25 says, As indeed he says in Hosea, so he refers to Hosea 2 verse 23, Those who were not my people I will call my people. And her who was not beloved... I will call beloved. So Peter and Paul both refer here to the beloved as those who are loved by God not only limited to the Jewish nation who was God's people. So everywhere else in the New Testament where you read the word beloved on its own it refers back to the fact that believers are loved by God. It does not refer to people who are loved by anyone else. The specific and emphatic, beloved of God. Sometimes we'll see that Paul refers to other people as my beloved, but then he makes it very clear. As an example, we see Romans 16, verse 9 and 10. Greet our urbanos. I love that word. If ever we get a, go- a dog, that will be his name. Urbanos. Our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved, Stachis. Greet apelles, maybe a parrot who is approved in Christ. point I want to make is, there is my beloved. Um, Paul calls someone else my beloved. But it is very special, you Christian, you are called God's beloved. And Peter writes to the loved ones, I urge you. So emphasizing the importance of this request, and uh, just note, it's not specifically a command, but a request and if you, if you go and look up what the word means, you'll see that it's a request for counsel and maybe with a result. So they're expecting a result. The urge you is more than just an idea or a suggestion. It is not a command, but uh, it'll be wise of you to follow this advice. And it's proven in the rest of Scripture that it is important. So Peter decided not to make it a command, but to make it an urge. Urging believers, the Christians, to be different from those who do not believe, those who are not the beloved. So it's false if someone says, well, God loves all people. It's not true. God loves the believer in a very special and specific way. And the original Greek word here translated as urge is uh, most often used in the positive, encouraging sense but it is an urgent request. It means exhorting and comforting and encouraging in the same word. So just ask this of yourself. Christian, beloved of God, why would you not want to conduct your life in such a way that God will be glorified? Do you really need more urgent urging? Is what you have and what you receive and what you are not sufficient? But yes, we do need urging. And this evening we get that urging again. I urge you, says Paul. So here's another question to ask in every situation of life. If an unbeliever could see what you just did or just thought, would they want anything to do with your God? Who are you in this life? Paul says that you are strangers, you are beloved of God, but in this life, so in God's realm, in God's kingdom, you are beloved, and he places his beloveds, he leaves his beloveds here in this world where you are strangers and exiles. You may have seen, if you watch any of the news channels, international news channels, you may have seen the chaos of the migrants and the illegal immigrants that cross the southern border of the United States of America. They leave and try and escape a country that is in chaos with the hope of making a better life for them in the land of the free and the home of the brave. You and I have not experienced the fullness of life in our home country at all. We don't know what our home country It's like we have an idea through Scripture, but I really believe once we arrive there, if we did not arrive there in our souls or with our glorified bodies, uh, we won't be able to handle it at all. We really have no idea what it will be like. So we are not exiles wanting to get away from something. We are exiles awaiting to return to an unimaginable environment of life. We can know from the Bible what it tells us, but we really can't imagine. Ezekiel tried, remember, to give us an idea. And he loses me in every verse of those first number of verses that he tries to explain what the throne room of God looks like. We're passing through this life to your real destination. Plucked out of your comfort zone here on earth as an unbeliever. When Jesus confronted you and made himself known to you. That means you're out of your comfort zone. You are in discomfort. You should be as a Christian in this life. You should not be surprised when people become senseless. When the world systems disappoint. When friends disappear. When things go horribly wrong. Don't be surprised when friends, family, even governments calls you evil. You cannot continue in your normal pre-Christ way of life. You will not be happy and you cannot be effective. You are a new creation. The old is gone. See, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And at salvation, God gave you a new heart. A heart not of stone but of flesh. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Your whole control center was replaced not only upgraded with a new version of Windows, a replaced operating system within you that has a totally new view of life and everlasting life. Your citizenship is transferred from this world to the next. You become a misfit in this life. Your hope is not in what this life brings. Your gaze is ever heavenwards looking forward to the end of life as you know it. We so easily hold on to the things of this life. We so want to have the joys of this life that we find ourselves in stresses and strains and in mental illness if we don't get what we need and believe we want in this life. Nothing in this life is so valuable that it could keep you here Or get you to extend your stay. You are a stranger but you are a contributing and effective stranger because even here as an exile and a stranger you have a job. You are to represent the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a walking, talking advertisement of your God. So, what do you do? You abstain. You stay away from. You leave alone the passions of the flesh. And you wage war against your soul. I try to stay away from the war, but here it is in the Bible. You wage war. So next time someone asks you, you're a Christian, someone asks you, do you have experience of war? What will your answer be? Yes. You may not know it, but you are in a war. And your war is against your flesh. Yeah, it's interesting. None of you said the devil. Good for you. It's your flesh. So the passions of your flesh, you stay away with a warlike life or death attitude from the things that will not bring God glory. Galatians 5 verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. Crucifixion is a violent thing. We play around with our desires of our flesh. Just this once. Won't hurt anyone. No one will know. It's not going to have an effect on my life. If that would be the attitude of a soldier approaching the enemy in sight, say, I don't think I'll join the war today. Those are the ones that come back in body bags. James 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at, in a party with you, at war with you? Your passions are the enemy. You are at war with your passions. So whenever you think, I think I want... I have to be careful here with regards to my desire for milk tart, but my wife keeps me in check. We have to, whenever we see, we say, I want, I believe, I deserve, we have to identify that item and see if it may, it may be a desire of the flesh that may be the enemy that we have to make war against. It is the love of God. We are the beloved, remember? that drives us to doing what He wants us to do. It is not your effort, firstly, it's not your ability, it's not your strength, not your knowledge of the Bible, although all of those are very important contributors to our ability to make war against the flesh. Not even you drumming up your own desires to wage war. But you want to be like the one you advertise everywhere, all the time. You want to be more like Christ. And that takes guts in the face of what your sponsors, your boss, your family, your friends expect of you. And you know how they will react. It's not good. They will call you all sorts of evil things. You may lose them. This kind of life may bring heartache, and disappointment, but the wonderful news is that a life dedicated to living the Christian life brings glory to God. So There's a motivation, an urge for guts. How about the glory of God? 1st Peter 2 verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day of visitation. So, the original readers of this letter had reason to be confused. Their neighbors, their friends, their Jewish families, even their government were calling them evildoers. And they called them evildoers because of a misinterpretation of the words of Jesus found in John 6, verse 51, where Christians were accused of being cannibals. One of the phrases we sang today may be very confusing for someone who has not read the Bible at all. There is a fountain filled with blood. What? And in John 6, verse 51, it, it talks about you have to eat the flesh of Jesus. So we know what that means, but for someone who doesn't, you can imagine how confused they were. And they're also called atheists because they did not believe in the Roman gods. And the devout Jews interpreted their worship of Jesus as unbelief in Yahweh. So it wasn't evildoing like causing havoc in the city uh, from a a riotous point of view. Uh, They weren't going around killing people. Uh, In fact, they did the opposite. They were very good citizens. But they were evildoers in the minds of people because of those phrases. So the goal of your good works is not to impress the evildoers. It is so that when they meet Jesus, one day, we pray it will be soon, they will recognize what you did as deeds you did to show God's value and not man's value. Glory means value. So if we think of God's glory, it's God's value. God's character, God's attributes all work together. God's deeds, God's plan, all of that shows God's value. So, if we talk about your glory, you also have a value. Our value is pathetically low compared to God. All glory is measured against the perfect glory of God. We find more motivation to show God's glory in Matthew 5, verse 16. And our motivation is Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. More motivation. Another person that we really appreciate, we read many of his letters, Paul. He said we should give God glory. 2 Corinthians 9 verse thirteen: By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. That comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So a bit of a dovetail again with Andrew's sermon this morning. So you you can't sit alone at home and really glorify God. It must show. Others must see it. The world must see it, but other believers must also see it. And then because of what they see, they glorify God. We should do all things in such a way that what we do more than what we know or say glorify God. So live in such a way that even unbelievers will have no option but to answer God in your favor when He should ask them about your life. So if your neighbors, your friends, your close family, if An unbeliever would ask them about your life. How will they answer? You won't believe this, but I'm going to conclude. Much is going wrong in the world. And it should. Because this world is rubbish. There's a better world for us. You should expect a difficult life. If you live the Christian life in such a way that it brings God glory. Your friends, your family, your government will see. And they may call you evildoer. Your good conduct can and should give hope to those who are without hope. You should be such an effective witness of who God is that everyone you meet should want to meet who you know and who you serve and who you glorify. Mark 15 verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So dear Christian friend, what is Jesus to you? And what is your testimony of him? When people look at your life, what will they think of your Jesus? Is he your servant? Is he your pacifier when you are in trouble? Is he your provider? Is he your counselor? Well, he may be all of the above, but he must firstly be your Lord. If he is, then you will have the guts to bring him the glory, to live a life that will attract your friends, family, fellow workers, neighbors, children, parents to Jesus. And those who won't, and those who don't respond to you glorifying God will one day meet Jesus face to face. And at that time, they will. No. Don't be surprised if people call you evil. Because what does God call you? Beloved. Remember that next time someone calls you an evildoer. Go against you. Do not want to listen to you. Revile you. Mock you. Remember, you are beloved. Do you live to show the value of your God? If not, start today. If you are already, like I believe many of you do, then let's do it better. As long as the passions of the flesh is where you find value you will not find full value in God the two are opposed to one another they do not live together they are enemies the more you find your value in God the less you will desire the passions of the flesh i dare you to have the guts to give God the glory let's pray Father even as we remind ourselves of um, these words we realize how much we depend on you, on your power, your wisdom, the energy that you give us, the ability to understand and the guts to uh, do what is required of us to do. We so easily bend, we so easily follow our desires, We so easily make our plans for the next joyful thing in this life and we are so reluctant to do those things that are against the flesh and that will benefit someone for everlasting life. Help us to evaluate our own desires again and bring them in line with your desires for us so that we may have the guts to give our God the glory. Amen.